Hi, John Kavakis here, and I just want to thank you for joining us at Warrington Bible Fellowship. We're in the middle of our series, God's Love for Everyone, out of the book of Luke. Last week we asked, what are you letting in? This week we're going to ask the question, who are you letting in? Now, we'd love to hear from you. I'd love to be able to pray for you. We'll have more on that after the sermon, but let's join the service right now as it's in session. Welcome to Warrington Bible Fellowship. And an unusual morning here. Uh, we've got snow in Virginia, uh, and it's piled up pretty heavily. Uh, so we have an abbreviated service this morning. We've asked the band to stay home for their safety. Uh, we have Charles McKay here who came in to help us open up the church. Uh, and Diane and Scott are here uh, helping us get at least the sermon up and running. So we appreciate you joining us. We're a little bit late because we've had some technical uh, difficulties. But I'd like you to turn now to Luke chapter 11. We're going to be in verses 37 through 54. And while you're turning there, I just share a little bit of a story from my past. Uh, I was a young manager in a retail chain, and I had a supervisor that I just idolized. He was a little bit older than me, and because he was a supervisor, uh, that was always kind of dangling out in front of people that are running retail stores is the next step up. I really wanted to be like him. So I listened to the music that he listened to. Uh, I grew a uh, mustache the way he had a mustache, and I really wanted to be a lot like him. And uh, that didn't turn out so well. And I realized that uh, along the way that I had uh, put my focus in the wrong area. Uh, I had modeled myself after somebody I probably should have looked at a little bit more objectively. I'll, I'll let you know what that has to do with today's sermon in just a little bit. But last week, we asked the question, what are you allowing in? What are you letting in? And we found out that we should avoid letting in darkness, that whatever we allow in is what will flow out of us. If we allow darkness, if we allow frustration, if we allow anger, and I'm not talking about being frustrated or getting angry. If we allow people and events that make us angry and make us frustrated in, then that will come flowing from us. And we were told, we learned from our scriptures to let in light so that light can shine from us. We're supposed to be the light of the world. In order for our light to shine brightly, we need to allow the light of Christ to shine in brightly. So this week, we're going to ask the question, who are you letting in? Uh, matter of fact, that's the t title of our sermon as well. Uh, so we're going to find out that uh, I, all of this works through an encounter that Jesus has with the Pharisees and with the lawyers. And in that encounter, he pronounces six woes upon this group of people that are the, the spiritual and political leaders of Jerusalem at the time. So here they are. Uh, he's going to pronounce a woe on something that they are in verses 37 through 41. He will pronounce a woe on something that they lack in verse 42, uh, on something that they want in verse 43 and 44, and in something that they're doing in 45 and 46. And in 47 through 51, it will be something that they've done. And the final woe is something that they are not. And that's in 52 through 54. So let's take a look at something that they are. Now we're going to spend a few minutes on this one uh, because it is kind of the foundation and the basis for all the other woes. It kind of establishes their character and nature and has an influence on how they comport themselves in the environment they're in. So starting with verse 37, while Jesus was speaking, 
now this goes right from last week's uh, lesson. Uh, Jesus has been talking about the disciples and how they're going to minister, and, and he finally turned his attention on the Pharisees uh, and, and warned us about letting this darkness in. And so he said, while Jesus was speaking, while he was doing the lesson that we saw last week, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him so that he went in and reclined at the table. So the Jews normally had two meals a day. Uh, there was a mid-morning meal and a mid-afternoon. They have, would have three meals on the Sabbath. And to invite someone into your house was to show honor to them. But if you invited somebody in your house that was a famous teacher, like Jesus was becoming in, in that region, it was also an honor to host them. So uh, Jesus is famous. One of the Pharisees says, come on over and let's have this meal together. And if you remember from our previous teaching in Luke, that when a dignitary would come to town and be invited to uh, dinner, that the whole town would show up. Uh, he would have the honored guests would be there around the table. But in the dining room, in the home, the town would gather and they would be there to listen to what was being discussed, to find out uh, what a teacher might be teaching, to find out where they stood on issues and that sort of thing. So uh, that's what would be happening in this Pharisee's house. Uh, the fact that Jesus was coming would be a point of fascination for the entire town. The host would be proud to have this famous guest in his house, and the town would be eager to listen to him. So in verse 38, it says, The Pharisees, the Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. Now, the word for dinner indicates that this is the mid-morning meal. So with the whole town watching, and with this growing tension between Jesus and the Pharisees and dominating the room and everybody kind of eager to see how the exchange is going to go, Jesus has the audacity to come in and forego the ceremonial washing of his hands. And not only that, but the host has the audacity to make note of it. Now, this tradition of washing hands is not in the Old Testament law. As a matter of fact, it rose up, they think it probably rose up during the diaspora uh, when the people had been scattered to Babylon, probably in the intertestamental period. Uh, and it was an extension of the ceremonial washings that were described in the Old Testament. But this is a tradition of man. It is not a tradition that God has established. It's not mentioned in the Old Testament law. So whatever its origins are, Jesus doesn't do it. And so the host makes note of it. And in 39a, when the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish. Now, the Old Testament law did direct that any, any vessel that touched something unclean became unclean itself and had to be either cleaned or destroyed. That's out of Leviticus 11, actually verse 33. So, by the time we get to the first century, there's a big debate rising up among the Pharisees on how that vessel should be cleaned if it's not going to be destroyed. 
So there were many sects in the Pharisaical party. party. Uh, one of them insisted that you have to clean the inside first. Another said that you had to clean the outside first. And yet another said it doesn't really matter as long as it gets clean. And uh, so there, there was a debate over it. And it looks like Jesus is going to settle this. And at first, it looks like he's taking one of the sides in the debate. Now, I, I think as Jesus begins his remarks, uh, you can understand that the people who thought it had to be cleaned a certain way are kind of feeling a certain self-satisfaction. Oh, he's on our side. And we love that when somebody agrees with us. And we immediately start looking at them with favor. I like this guy. He agrees with the, the preconceptions that I have already imposed upon myself. And no doubt some of that was happening just at this first comment. But then, then there's this surprise. He's not talking about how they wash dishes. 39b, he, Jesus says, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. He's talking about them. And when he uses the word inside, the, the Jews would hear the inner parts and they would understand their hearts. In their hearts, they're filled with greed and wickedness. Now, and it's not just that, but the word for greed here means a violent greed. That they're guilty of robbery, of extortion, of plunder. Now notice this. Something significant just happened. Because Jesus' relationship and how he relates to the Pharisees has been fairly benign so far. They've been on the attack He's been absorbing the attack and using it for teaching, but now the attitude changes a little bit. And there's a turn in how he approaches the, the Pharisees, and it becomes obvious that he's not just talking about their legalistic traditions, he's talking about them personally. He's talking about their entire system and everything that they've imposed upon the people. Look what he says next. He says, you fools. It's harsh. The Old Testament definition of a fool is somebody who is deaf and blind to God. They're not listening. They're not obeying. He says, you fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? Jesus is saying, there aren't two people here. There's no inner self and outer self. It's something the world would teach us today. There's no public and private lives. They're not separate. God makes them all. And the insinuation is that God sees them all. Verse 41, Jesus says, But give as alms those things that are written, and behold, everything is clean for you. He tells them, You make a big deal out of giving to the poor. Make sure that your giving is from within, with compassion and with humility. Then, then you'll be clean on the inside and the out. Instead, everything that they're doing, watch this, everything that they're doing, they're doing for themselves. There's no humility. There's no compassion. There's no mercy. What they are, greedy and filthy. And with this indictment, it goes right along with what Jesus was talking about in the previous passage about the evil generation. They're included in that. Verse 29, Jesus pronounces the second woe. And that is something that they lack. 
Verse 42. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. They're good. He says they're good at putting their tithing on display. They would make a big thing out of what they were giving. Make sure everybody noticed it. And they had regulations to, as to exactly what to do and how much a tithe of their belongings. And, and uh, they were absolutely meticulous about this. They would count out cumin seeds to make sure that they were giving the proper amount. And they would do it for everybody to see. It was a giant show. Jesus says it's nothing but false piety. And why is he saying that? Well, because they're not taking care of the people that they've been given charge of. They lack justice. They lack a godly type of love. When, when he talks about the love here, it's agape. It's a, a godly love that should be flowing from them the same way God's love has flowed to them. And God, God commands both justice and godly love from his people. You can take a look at this later. Micah 6, 8, Zechariah 7, 8 through 10. Now, there are a lot of people that tell me, oh, Jesus doesn't say anything about tithe in the New Testament. There's no, there's no command to tithe in the New Testament. Here it is right here. It says that you should be tithing. But that's not the only thing you should be doing. You should be tithing, and, and maybe you should be tithing in a manner that all people see, but you should be maintaining a pure heart and holy motives. And while they are extremely good at external piety, what they lack is internal holiness. And God's people, above all other things, are called to be holy. And that lack of holiness shows up in their heart's desire. And that leads to Jesus levying the third woe, something they want. Verse 43, Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. They love the high status that the public gives them. They love being acknowledged in public as, as holy men. They sat in the front rows of the synagogue. They sat in the very front seats in, in the temple as close as they could to the Holy of Holies. In the Talmud, uh, which is a collection of the oral traditions uh, of the Jews, uh, they describe this elaborate greeting that uh, the, the general public had to go through when they encountered encountered one of the Pharisees or the Sadducees. There was all these things you had to say and all these things that you had to do as a gesture of respect and honor to the Pharisees. And the problem was that the Pharisees absorbed it and they enjoyed it. They loved this stuff. And they thought that all the trappings of their office made them important. But Jesus says, you're fooling yourselves doesn't make you important. He says in verse 44, Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. Now, a Jew who came into contact with any type of grave, marked or unmarked, became unclean. But that's not really the imagery that Jesus is trying to evoke here. He's talking about a grave that's been dug and is waiting to be filled. It's a hole in the ground. And if you stumble into it, you could die as well. 
And even if you didn't die, there you are laying in a grave. I mean, the symbolism is incredible, and it's scary. So the Pharisees want and, and demand esteem and respect. And in pursuing that, the Lord says that they have become a curse upon the people that they've been called to bless. As a matter of fact, they're leading them to death, not life. And it's a sobering accusation. Now he's got everybody's attention. Everybody in the room is paying close attention to what he's saying. Verse 45, one of the lawyers, now a lawyer would be a scribe, uh, one of the lawyers answered him, teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. So the lawyer, the lawyer thinks he needs to defend the Pharisees. The lawyers work alongside the Pharisees, interpreting the laws and studying the traditions. And the lawyer's saying, if you attack the Pharisees, you're attacking all of us, including the lawyers. Well, Jesus knows exactly what's going on in the hearts and the minds of both groups, the lawyers and the Pharisees. And, and deep down in their hearts, what they crave is recognition and status. They want people to think well of them. And Jesus has something to say to the lawyer and his friends. He points out something they're doing, which is the fourth wall. Verse 46, and he said, Woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. And he says, what you're doing is you're crushing people with godless traditions. You're loading them down with all of these things they should be doing and all these laws that they should be following, and you're not doing them. You're not subject to the things that you're asking these people to do. You're asking them to do things that you yourself are not willing to do. And that takes us to our fifth woe, something that they've done. Verse 47, woe to you. For you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation." from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. This is a complicated set of verses. So I'm going to give you the Kavakis translation here, the paraphrase. Jesus is saying, you're no different than your ancestors. They rose up and killed the prophets and the people that God sent them. And the current generation, you, you are just finishing the job that they started. And he said, these tombs. Now, if you're standing in Jerusalem, anywhere near the Temple Mount, uh, in particular over in the Kidron Valley, the Kidron Valley is filled with the tombs of the kings and the prophets. And you can see Jesus pointing to them. These tombs are a reminder that you rejected them and that you rejected the words of God just, just like you're rejecting me. 
just like you're rejecting me and my words, and you will be held accountable for that. You will pay for that. Jesus says what they've done is that they've killed God's people. They're murderers. They're shedders of blood. We haven't even seen how bloodthirsty they are yet. They're about to. And that leads us to the sixth woe. Something they're not. Woe to you lawyers, verse 52. For you've taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. Now these men called themselves teachers and shepherds. They were the leaders of the people. This was a theocracy. They were functioning underneath the Romans, but the local politics and local religion were one. So the, the, these were their political leaders, their shepherds, their teachers, but because of their self-centeredness and their arrogance, they were actually keeping the people that they were supposed to enlighten in the dark. They were hindering them. They were holding them back instead of teaching them and helping them to grow. And here's the irony. They've been given this incredible truth to convey. They have the words of God. They have the blessings of God. They have the protection of God, the provision of God. And the main thing that they are guilty of, the main thing that they are not, are truth bearers. They're telling lies and stories for their own gain, for, for their own accomplishment, for their own advancement. Well, with that, the meal's over. And so was the gathering. And it, it's sad to realize that these Pharisees and lawyers just had dinner with the Son of God. And you don't have to read too far in between the lines to realize that what he wanted from them was not to just accuse them, but he wanted them to repent. God doesn't point out our failings because he wants to punish us, that he wants to make us pay for them. He points out our, our failings and our shortcomings so that we can repent. That's been the message of Luke since chapter 1, when John the Baptist rose up and began proclaiming, the kingdom of God is coming near, it is time to be baptized and repent. Jesus has been giving everybody he talks to the opportunity to repent. He tells them the truth. Then he asks them to repent. Jesus' rebukes have been harsh. They've been hard to hear. But they're given in love and mercy. They're not there to condemn. So when we read these things and we see that He's giving them and us and our leaders, brothers and sisters, an opportunity to change our ways and turn back to God. It's an example of God's grace. It's a beautiful description of God's mercy. It's not too late. Look at yourself objectively. 
And if you see the things that I see, Jesus is saying, repent. Don't hold on to them. Don't be stubborn. God's given us this incredible tool called repentance that is designed to restore our relationship with him. So those are the six woes. We saw something that this group of people are, this political, spiritual group of leaders are. They're greedy and they're filthy. And we find out that it's not the outward appearance, but it's what is in the heart that really counts. And that God knows. God knows what's in the heart of all of us. We saw something they lack. What they lack is true piety. They, they, they look good to everyone else around them. They maybe got the better houses and the better clothes and the higher pay and the staff and all these things. But in their private moments, in their secret thoughts, they are ungodly and unholy. They lead double lives. They are hypocrites. And God says, I see it all. We saw something that they want. Recognition, status. Because of their self-centered lifestyle, they become a curse on the people instead of leaders of the people. We saw something that they're doing. That they're crushing people with man-made traditions, burdening them with legalism, demanding that the people around them do things that they themselves are unwilling to do. We saw something that they've done. They've committed murder. By how? Not by shooting people but by rejecting God, rejecting God's word. They're killing people. They're leading them into that. And we saw something that they're not. They're not bearers of the truth. As a matter of fact, they tell lies. And they work contrary to what they've been called to do. They're not working for the welfare of the people. They're working for their own welfare. Well, how, how do the lawyers and the Pharisees respond? They've been given this truth. God has looked into their hearts and revealed the darkness that's in there. How do they respond? Here's their response in, in verse 53. And he went away from there. Jesus went away. The scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something that he might say. They're following him out of the house. They're not done. They're going to make their point. And they are provoking him. They are pressing him hard. And the phrase means to examine a criminal closely and assumes that the one that they're examining is doing something wrong. They assume he's a criminal, and they're trying to prove it. In short, they're desperate to prove him wrong and maintain their outward appearance of piety and holiness. They're self-defensive. Anybody that attacks them, they attack back. And they're more willing to slander and criticize their accuser than they are to examine themselves. We need to ask ourselves, what are we letting in? What are we letting in? My dad tried to warn me about my supervisor. He met him, and he took me aside, and he said, John, I, I don't trust that guy. 
Of course, I was young and naive, and I believed that my dad just didn't understand. But dad said something to me that stuck with me. And he said, judge a man by your standards, not his. That stuck with me. And i gotta, I got to be honest with you. It wasn't too long after that that supervisor showed his true colors. Put me in a situation that was compromising. Took the credit for something he shouldn't have taken credit for. And blamed me for something he shouldn't have blamed me for. So that he could get ahead. I got fired. But I so desperately wanted to be like him. Not only that. I don't think there's anything wrong with admiring somebody. We should never allow anybody to influence us, to lead us into areas that we should not go. Because in the end, the lesson I learned was he was going to be him and I was going to pay for it. We allow darkness in, we learn this, that's what's going to flow from us. We let the light in, it shines from us. We have to be just as careful as to who we allow to influence us because they will also influence our hearts and our behavior. Isn't that what was happening to the crowd? As you can see, the crowd turning against Jesus. They're following their leaders, following the destructions. My dad gave me a great standard. He said, measure, measure a man by your standards, not his. It's only later in life that I found out that we have a far better standard. We should evaluate our leaders by and determine how much we allow them to influence us by the Scriptures. And we need to be objective about that. We need to read the Scripture Look at the man and woman and see how they compare. Because ultimately, God will judge all of us. Ultimately, we'll be held to his standard, which he's made clear to us. The question is whether or not we want that, or we want what these people would promise us. God promises us eternity. Compare that to everything else you hear. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for your wisdom. We give you thanks for your son who was willing to stand up and speak the truth. We pray, Father, that truth would enter our hearts just as your light would, Father, and come flowing from us in rivers of love and compassion and mercy, but rivers of discernment as well, Lord. That we may judge ourselves and the people around us by your standards, the standard of your word. And we pray this in the mighty name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being patient with us today and sticking with us. I'll talk to you again next week. Thanks for tuning in today. We hope you were blessed by the service. We'd love to be able to pray for you. If you'd like to send us your email address or your prayer request, we'll add them to our prayer list. You can find us on the web at wbfva.org. Our YouTube channel is WBFVA, or we're on Facebook as well, Warrington Bible Fellowship. God bless.